I do not feel like a visitor when I come to Placerita Bible Church. <laughs> now that you're meeting 20 steps from the building where I work every day, uh, I, I even feel less like a visitor. I just have one question. Who took my parking space this morning? <laughs> Was that you? Ah, that's why you're, you're being punished sitting over there. Okay, good, yeah. Uh, no, it's really great to be with you. I was asked on Wednesday morning if I would do this. So with short notice, I thought maybe I would give a message that I had given before. But my answer to that, if you ask me, is yes and no. Uh, it's a message I've given it before, but not in this way. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11 is our text. We will read our text in Hebrews and then depart from it, which is bad preaching, but I think that you'll see what I mean uh, after we read our text when I say I'm going to depart from it. Not exactly, but you'll see. Hebrews chapter 11, this is the hall of fame of faith. Uh, uh, this is um, uh, these great Old Testament pre-Christian worthies who exhibited faith men and women among them, and we're going to look at Abraham today, okay? Hebrews eleven eight. I start reading. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That's the title of my message today. Not knowing, I'll say it like they say it in South Carolina, not knowing where he was going. Okay? You say, why are you picking on South Carolina? Well, I grew up there. Yeah, I grew up there. All right, so I can criticize it or make fun of it or whatever. Not knowing where he was going, that is the theme I want to explore with Abraham. Let's continue. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, uh, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the she, uh, seashore. Yes, sorry. Uh, uh, Sarah sold shells by the seashore. Wow. Great as the sands by the seashore. Got it. All right. Now, now the writer of Hebrews takes a little diversion and does a little summary before he returns to Abraham in verse 17. Let's read that. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And finally, returning to Abraham uh, and Sarah, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises uh, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. Watch this. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. Now we depart from Hebrews, but not exactly. I've never given this message before in this way. What I would like to do, and maybe you can tell me afterwards, by not shaking my hand at the door or something like that, whether it was successful, I want us to go through the entire story of Abraham, Genesis 12 through 24, in one massage, uh, message, excuse me, uh, in one message, okay? 
I've never done it before, so here we go. Buckle your seatbelt, so I don't know if this is going to be a rocky uh, flight, uh, but uh, uh, we'll see how it, uh, how it goes. I'm unbuckling my seatbelt here. Okay, good. Uh, so um, this is Abraham and one easy lesson, and I want to wrap it around the following. If you could put that up, please. Abraham, not knowing where he was going, And I want to wrap it around the three promises that he received. A people, a land, and a blessing. And uh, the next one, please. And I want to wrap the story. No, I'm sorry. uh, One before. Uh, Yeah, you go. The, uh, uh, The rest of the Bible is really the unfolding, particularly this last promise, a blessing. Now, stories need conflicts. I tell my master's university students, excuse me, uh, that a good story, to be a good story, needs to have conflict. Boy meets girl, boy uh, asks a girl for a date or to court, whatever you do around here, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and she says yes without any hesitation. Uh, they immediately fall in love. In three weeks, he's asked her to marry him, and she says yes, but talk to daddy, and daddy says, oh yes, you're perfect for her. And she asked her parents, and says, yes, he's perfect. And, and uh, the, uh, the guy's mom says, yes, she's perfect. Uh, you know, they get married uh, w- w- uh, within a year. Uh, you know, there's uh, 6,000 people at the wedding uh, 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 because a rich uncle is paying for it. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and uh, I won't say how long, but within a year, she has a child. And within two years, she has two children. Three years, three children. Four years, four children. They're all perfect. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, blonde, uh, blue-eyed, uh, you, you know, uh, I, and uh, they each get baptized at the age of eight. Uh, they're all homeschooled, and they have memorized the Bible by the time <laughs> they are 14 years old. Uh, each of them uh, 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 graduate. Of course, they go to Masters University, and there they meet uh, uh, their, their spouses, and they live happily ever after. That's boring. I'm not even going to get to the first kid in that story because it's not really a story. Stories thrive on what? Conflict. He sees her and he looks at her and she said, what are you looking at? (laughs) And he goes back and he looks at her again. And asks her for a courting and she says, no. And he comes back again. And I could go on and on and on through this story of conflict. And I want to keep reading because I want to see how this turns out. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and uh, he asks her to marry her and he says no. Uh, you know, and she, he talks to the dad and dad says, yes, I've been trying to, you know, keep trying, son, uh, boy, uh, you know, and, and on and on and on it goes, and it's one conflict after another, and they finally get married, and she's infertile for, for, for a number of years, and she finally has a child, and I, I can just go on and give you heartache and pain, and I'm not, but I want to keep reading that story, I want to keep reading that story, because it's got conflict, and I want to see how the writer resolves it. Now, I know in our postmodern world, there is no resolution, and uh, it, the story just ends. But, but I like a story that has conflict and resolution, and this one does. This one does. Genesis 12, God calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. We do not know how he came to believe in the one true God. We do know from Joshua 20. Now, I'm going to be going fast. We do know from Joshua 24 that he came from a family of idolaters. We do not know how they came to believe in the one true God. This is a a Jewish holiday that starts tonight, so I'll say something Jewish. Uh, Shana Tova, may you have a good year. And I'll also tell you a Jewish story about Abraham. Abraham, we aren't told in the Bible how he came to believe in the one true God and how Terah came to believe in the one true God. They were idolaters. Here's the Jewish story. The Jewish story is his daddy uh, had an idol factory. He made idols for people to worship. And Abraham was forced to work in that factory, that idol shop. And, and Abraham had come to believe in the one true God. And he says, how can I, how can I convince my dad 
that, that uh, uh, these idols are futile things. And uh, one day his dad says, Amy, I'm going down to, uh, to uh, Moshe's Deli on the corner, going to get a good Reuben and uh, watch the shop while I'm gone. He says, okay, Pop. Or, okay, Abba, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, so he's gone, and he looks at these. Look at these. How many people are here? 500, 400 uh, evangelistic speaking, 1,000 are here. Yeah, 1,000 idols in this shop. And he says, how can I convince Dad? And so he pulls an axe out, and he goes through and whacks off the head of every single idol, except one. Put your hands out. And he puts the axe in the hand of the one idol with a head. His dad comes in. What are you doing? What's happened? He says, why did you do this? He said, it wasn't me, dad. It was him. <laughs> to which Tara said, son, you expect me to believe that? This idol has eyes and can't see and a mouth and can't speak and hands and can't move. You expect me to believe that he did it? And he says, dad, did your ears... Hear what your mouth just said. If this idol has eyes and can't see and mouth and can't speak and ears and can't hear and a mouth and can't speak, why are we making him and why are we worshiping him? And Terah becomes a convert. I preached that at Grace Community Church one time and there were six people saying, did I miss that? <laughs> yes, you did. It's a fictional story. Can you improve on it? <laughs> I don't know how. I, but Abram came to believe in the one true God and Terah. And God appears to him in Ur of the Chaldees and says, get out of here. And go to a land that I will show you. Where's that? I'll show you. And I'll make of you a great people. I'll give you a land. And I'll make you a blessing. And you will be a blessing to all the people of the earth. Wow. He grabs Tara and Sarah. Tara and Sarah. And the gang. And they head off up the Euphrates uh, River. Comes to Haran. 75 years old. Starting a family. At least he was told that he's starting a family. He has no family. Just he and Sarah. Terah dies, and he heads down into what became the promised land. Not knowing where he was going. Husbands, you tell your wife, honey, we're going on vacation. Where are we going? She asked. Where are we going? She asked. I don't know. Is this a surprise? It's a surprise for me, too. Would your wife sort of buy into that with you? You know, my wife, first of all, would want to know, is it going to be cold or is it going to be hot? <laughs> Am I to wear warm clothes? Am I to wear, uh, you, know, you know, clothes for winter? I don't know. Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> it's going to take a wife to really trust her husband to do something like that. And evidently she did. They didn't know where they were going. But they had the word of the infallible God. I'll show you. Keep going, and when I want you to stop, I'll say stop. That took faith. Not knowing where he was going. Now, I want to go with the rest of the chapters. I'm going to have to hurry. And show you how each of these promises were threatened. In chapter 12, he comes into the land. There's a Canaanites in the land. Is this the land that you're going to give me, Lord? I, the Canaanites are living here. I can't just bump them off. Okay? Just, just be here. And right away, problems, conflicts come. Not only are the Canaanites in the land, but a famine comes in the land. Oh, hey, what, what did we do? You moved to a land where there's famine? And he grabs her and takes her down to Egypt. Now, this is not at the word of the Lord. Everything he does is at the word of the Lord. But it doesn't say that he did this at the word of the Lord. This is his own decision to go down into Egypt. And his decision just compounds problems. Because 
the, the land promise is threatened. I'll give you this land, okay? And he leaves the land. The land promise is threatened. And once they arrive, things go from bad to worse. Abram tells a little white lie. Uh, you know, you're a good-looking woman. Pretty good for a gal in her 80s. You're a good-looking woman. Uh, and uh, if uh, Pharaoh sees you, uh, he, he's going he's gonna, to... Uh, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. A little white lie. Just a little. So now, not only are the circumstances threatening the promise, but Abram himself is threatening the promise. And Pharaoh sees her and takes her into his house. And there's an interpretational challenge here, but I don't think they came together. He had a big enough harem that, excuse me, kids, they had to stand in line, you know. And uh, so, so I, I don't think he ever, you know, messed around with her. But as soon as he took her into his house, there's plagues, there's problems, <laughs> all sorts of plagues. And, and, and they start to figure this out. They said from the moment she stepped into the palace, we started having these plagues. There must be some problem. Ah, it's not Abram's sister, Abram's wife. Get out of here. And so Abram takes her. They hightail it back out of Egypt. To get away from the mess that he had created. And they come back to the land of Canaan. And at Bethel he bows before the Lord. And I think his prayer was this. Lord thank you for saving my. Took us. Yeah I'll say it. Saving my can. Saving my foolish decision. I'm now back in the land. See the threats to the promise. Some threats to the promises in our lives can be situations that we don't bring on ourselves. They're just the way things happen. Then other threats to the promises in our life can be made by the stupid mistakes that we make. And yet God is faithful. And even the New Testament says when we are faithless yet he abides faithful. Oh boy. Let's get started again. Now we're back in the land. But the, it's threatened. It's threatened uh, be, because there's Lot, the nephew, and Lot's herdsmen and Abram's he, uh, herdsmen are, 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 are fussing with one another. <laughs> enough, enough, enough. And Abram makes another mistake. Look at whatever land you want, Lot, you will take, and I'll take the other part. Really? There's a threat to the land promise right there as well. Oh, yeah, I should say there was a threat to the blessing promise. I'm going so fast, I'm leaving things out. Uh, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Look how Pharaoh's being blessed. He's got plagues and trouble in his house. So instead of being a blessing to Pharaoh, he's a curse. All right, now back. All right, good. As I said, I've never given this message before. You heard it in Old Testament survey, but you heard it over three classes. This is 45 minutes. Where were we? Abraham, yeah, right. <laughs> so Lot does not choose the land of promise. Lot chooses the area over in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he enters into Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's a side issue. But soon after he enters into Sodom, Sodom begins to enter into him. Now Abram's back. Okay, good. All right, good. Still no child, no pregnancy. And so... After that trial with Lot, uh, uh, he hears something. What? Lot has been captured, has been snagged as a prisoner of war. Four kings from the Middle East, where Abram came from, come into the area in the southern part of the Dead Sea, and they beat up on the five cities of the plain, and they capture Lot and other hostages, and they head north on the king's highway to take them back to Mesopotamia. Somebody comes and tells Abram, listen, it's his nephew. So he gets 318 guys. He gives them a 24-hour uh, 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 training in hostage rescue, and off they go. And they catch up with the army, and in a rescue that would be the... the uh, uh, what's the word I want? That would be the uh, jealousy of Rambo. Good. Remembered Rambo and forgot jealousy. Okay, good. 
that would make Rambo jealous. In the middle of the night, they descend upon this army. They defeat them. They grab the spoils that were taken. And they grab a, a lot that was taken. And they take him back. What a rescue. What a rescue. And Abram meets on the way back a very strange character who walks on the stage, says his lines, and walks off. Like an Alfred Hitchcock in an Alfred Hitchcock film, but Alfred Hitchcock never spoke. He's just a little fat, bald man. Anyway, what's wrong, what's wrong with that? Anyway, <laughs> the elevator opens and out walks this little fat, bald man, and that's Alfred Hitchcock, you know. Who was he? Melchizedek walks on the stage. Abram knows who he is. Two kings met him. One is the king from Sodom. One is Melchizedek, king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. Abram wants nothing to do with the king of Sodom. He says, here's the hostages. Don't even pay me. I don't need your money. But he turns to the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And, I, and he acknowledges him. And he pays him tithes. And Melchizedek blesses him. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God. And blessed be the Most High God. Lines over, going off stage. And Melchizedek walks off the stage. Who was that masked man? I'll tell you who he was. He was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. That's who he was. He becomes a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who's a king and a priest. And he's only mentioned two other times in the Bible, Psalm 110 and Hebrews chapter 7. He says his lines and he's gone. A mysterious character who was not Jesus in pre-incarnate form, who was not Shem, who was not an angel. He was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. A unique fellow that uh, I think preserved the knowledge of the one true God after Babel and the scattering. And Abram recognized him. Thus, he becomes a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a story. What a story. Conflict, resolution. But still, Abe now is in his 90s and there's no kid. So, chapter 15. Do you have an evening service? <laughs> I might just preach right through to it. Anyway. No, no, I'll let you out in time. Don't worry. I'll be hungry too. Genesis chapter 15, still no kid. One of my favorite chapters. God appears to Abram and says, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Okay, God, that's good. I'm paraphrasing, but I think this is the idea. Okay, God, that's good. You're my shield and my exceeding great reward. But I still got no kid. How can I produce a people? How can I produce a seed when she's not gotten pregnant, we have no children, God. And the heir is this Eliezer of Damascus. It was a custom in the day that if you did not have a natural child, you could, you could designate the head butler, Carson. Six people left. Only six of you have cultural awareness enough to know that Carson is the head butler. We've been there. We've sat on the bench where they sat. We came back and helped to decorate the Downton Abbey float in the Rose Parade. You want my autograph? <laughs> so, Carson, you're my heir. What's going on here? There was a custom in the day that if you didn't have any kids, you could designate your head butler as the heir. And he says, the heir of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And God says, no not going to be Eliezer. One from your own loins is going to be your heir. And I'm going to teach you a lesson that you'll never forget to convince you. Okay. Abraham believed God and it was kind to him to righteousness. Next slide, please. Abraham believed God and it was kind to him for righteousness. He believed. That's the thing. about him. Even though... No children, even though conflict, he believed. And Paul celebrates that as the way to righteousness for all of us, by faith.
by faith. And you can see that in the New Testament. Now go back to the first slide, please. God is going to teach him uh, something he'll never forget. Do this, Abram. Get some animals and slice them in two. Okay, slice them in two. Now, put one half of the animal over here, one half of the animal over there, one half of the animal here, one half of the animal here, one half. Bloody mess. It's so bloody that the Bible says that, that birds came down. It's, it's strange, strange. Birds came down and were on the bloody carcasses and Abraham is, is, is shooing them off. Very strange. Very strange. And then Abraham is in deep sleep and he sees a burning fire that goes between the pieces. Goes between the pieces at night. He sees this burning fire. The fire is symbolic. Well, it's not just symbolic. It is the Lord himself. Walking between this bloody mess. And the very next thing it says, in that day or night, God cut a covenant with Abraham and said, your land is going to be from the river of Egypt all the way to the river Euphrates. You can count on it because I just walked through the pieces. You say, what in the world has that got to do with anything? In Jeremiah 34, it says that there was a custom in ancient times. If two guys, two gals, made a covenant with each other, promised to each other, they were to cut an animal in half and put it there, and they were to walk together through the pieces. That means they're cutting a covenant. They're making a promise. That, and, and, and I think it's this. If I break this promise to you, may I be cut in pieces. If you break this promise to me, may you be cut in pieces. When I was 10 years old, I lived in Fair Forest, South Carolina. Has anybody in the world ever been to Fair Forest, South Carolina? God bless you, lady. <laughs> I know who you are. I'll just say lady. I lived in Fair Forest, South Carolina, and my neighbor was named J.W. Nelson, and we became bosom buddies, and J.W. and I wanted to covenant that we would always be bosom buddies. So I remember the day we kneeled in his front yard in the grass there, and we got a knife without our parents looking, and I cut my thumb right there. It began bleeding. J.W. cut his thumb, and we put our thumb. You're going to be paid for this, you know? <laughs> We put our thumbs together and we shared our essence and we made a covenant with one another that we would always be bosom friends. J.W. moved away the next year and I never seen him again. <laughs> never saw him again, excuse me. But that's the idea of a covenant, a blood covenant. Now we were just kids, okay? This is not kids. This is Yahweh. Notice, Yahweh didn't grab Abram's hand and said, let's walk through this together. Yahweh walked between the pieces by himself. A unilateral covenant. God wants Abram to be faithful to him, of course. But even if Abram is not faithful to him, you see the point? The Lord will be faithful to his promises. This is not just a story about bloody animals. This is a story about us. We're called to believe God and follow him, and we should. But even when we fail, the faithful God is faithful to us. In the blood covenant, the new covenant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! The land promise, threatened, I want to tell you, you're going to have all of that land at the end of Genesis 15. You'd think that's enough for Abram. Next chapter. It's Sarah. She's still barren. And uh, she recommends to Abram to follow another custom of the day. Another custom of the day, if it's not the head butler, it can be the maid. And I won't mention any maids in Downton Abbey, okay? Thank you. Uh, um, 
you could go into your wife's maid. Now, that's, it was not approved by God. It was a custom of the day. So he goes into his wife's maid, Hagar. She gets pregnant. Solution to the problem. She's going to have Abram's heir. No. The bigger she gets, the more she teases Sarah. Look what I did. Finally, Sarah says, enough, enough. Abram, get rid of her. What do you mean get rid of her? She's the heir. Get rid of her. Two women. Wherever you see bigamy, you got problems. Wherever you see bigamy in the Old Testament. Don't ever say God approved of it. And why did they, you know, wherever you see it. Can you understand why? Who's he going to be with tonight? I mean, it, it's jealousy. It's, you know. So she says, okay, woman, leave. So if she's heading back to Egypt. Probably Abram got her in his sojourn in Egypt. That's, where, that's why she's in Egypt. She's headed back and she's in the desert. And the angel of the Lord appears to her in his mercy. She didn't deserve this. And he says, return to your mistress. I'll make great people coming out of you. And she is, Hagar is the traditional mother of the Arab peoples in the Middle East. Abrahamic peoples. So she returns, and they have a circumcision ceremony in chapter 17. Now, we've got to move quickly. Circumcision ceremony in chapter 17, but still Sarah's not pregnant. The covenant is, is, is sealed by the mark of circumcision, and things are going well, but still there's no heir. There's no heir. What a threat to the promise. There's a side issue in, in 18 and 19. Um, you know what? I, I was told that there's water up here. It's only about one-fifth. <laughs> Looks like Adam got thirsty last Sunday. <laughs> I remember being in a church, and I reached for a glass of water under the pulpit many years ago, and I got the glass right to here, and the pastor for whom I was preaching that day was present. He says, don't drink that. It's from last week. <laughs> this is from last week. Can somebody get me a fresh one? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Don't tell Adam. Where was I? Abram. Right, yeah. He's finally now Abraham. In chapter 17, Sarai is renamed Sarah, princess. Abram, exalted father, is now Avraham, the father of a multitude. But still, still, Sarah's not pregnant. All right, parenthesis, chapters 18 and 19. Three people, men, come in from the desert. And they come into Abraham's encampment. Abraham is at the, uh, at the tent door. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Abraham is at the tent door. He sees them, and in good Middle Eastern Bedouin hospitality, he welcomes them into the tent. I read that for years, and I didn't realize that that's desert hospitality. That's Middle Eastern hospitality. You see a traveler, you show them hospitality. I experienced that one time with a Bedouin. Did you know this? With a Bedouin. I was walking along, and I stumbled upon a Bedouin tent. You know, and the guy comes out to meet me. I realized later that that's the custom. They come out to meet you and take you into their tent. So I go into his tent. I'm sitting in the middle of a Bedouin tent all by myself with this guy. Some of you think he might bring out a knife. Oh, no. If you came twice, he might do that. But the first time, he shows you hospitality. And uh, I, 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 th I, I think he had three teeth. Okay. And he didn't speak any English, but we got along in a broken Hebrew and, and, and Arabic. And he said, cafe. And I don't know what that is. I said, yes. So he grabbed a cup, went sort of like this, you know, in the cup. And then, and then there's this container over the fire with Bedouin coffee. And he smiles, and I smile. I say, shukran, Habibi. Thank you, my friend. He says, afwan. So... He pour, it takes him about 30 seconds to pour it. Do you get the idea? 
30 seconds to pour a small cup. And he gives it to me, and I say, shukran. He said, afwan. Wow. Burned all the way down. Ah, and I like strong coffee. He says, shukran. Food. He, he, he did no food. I said, no, no. No, oh, please, please, please. So I left and I thanked him profusely because I had to get back to the hotel. And as I was going back to the hotel, the, the, the path went to the right, then it went to the left, then it went to the right, then it went to the left. Then I got to the hotel. And oh, I was the star of the show. You were in a Bedouin tent. They're talking. Then the guide comes over. He says, You went in a Bedouin tent? I said, Yes. He said, you drank the coffee? I said, yes. Do you know what Bedouin put in their coffee? I said, no. <laughs> he said, hashish. And then I knew why the road was going lit. <laughs> if you know Latin, it was a peccatum ignorantiae. It was a sin of ignorance, okay? Don't, don't judge me. But I experienced Bedouin hospitality. God experienced Bedouin hospitality in Genesis 18. When he takes those two angels and the one who is the Lord himself inside his tent. And as they're about to leave, God says, this time next year, I will visit spiritually. And Sarah will have a child. What was Sarah's response? <laughs> sure. I was telling my friend last night that story. And she's not 90, but she's not 30 either. And she said, I wouldn't have laughed. I would have cried. <laughs> anyway, anyway. And within a year, laughter is born. That's his name. They named him Laughter, after her laughter. won't tell you a story because of time. Abraham says, before you leave, can I ask something? How about those 50 righteous people in, 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 in Sodom? Good, but no. How about 40? No. How about 30? No. He got all the way down to 10. He says, if there's 10 righteous, will you spare it? Yes. And Abram stops asking. Because there wasn't less than 10 there. Scene shifts. And the two angels. Visitors. I'll have to go quickly here. Approach Sodom. And there is Lot sitting in the gate. That means not that he was blocking the gate. But he's, he's become a city elder. And he takes them into his house. And bad scene develops. You read it and tell your kiddies on your own. Ugly scene develops. Because of the Sodomites there. And the angels strike them with blindness and say, get out of Sodom. It's going to be destroyed. And Lot grabs his wife, unnamed Mrs. Lot. And the girls, and they head out. And because she longs to go back, she looks and she's turned into a pillar of salt. End of the story of Lot. Well, not the end. You read the rest of it and decide whether you want to read it to your kiddies. It's ugly. You know why? Well, you know one of the reasons why I believe the Bible's inspired? Because it includes those ugly stories. If I had written it, I would have left some of those out. And the Bible would have been poorer and we would have been poorer for leaving those things out. Conflict. Okay, finally, Sarah has a child. Names him Laughter. He's circumcised. And now we head down the home stretch, but the story isn't over. Isaac grows a bit. Most think that he wasn't a small child when this happened. Most think, think he was a young teenager. And God does the unthinkable. I, Abraham, take Isaac. As a matter of fact, it's the same Hebrew construction that's used in Genesis 12. Lech lecha. Go. Get from your land to a land that I'll show you. Same construction in Genesis 22. Go. Get from here to a place that I will show you. 
and take Isaac and sacrifice him on one of the hills in that land. Put yourself in Abram's sandals. Kill him? You heard me? How can there be a people? How can there be a full... Talk about a conflict. That's a trial of faith. I want to give you something that's not written in the text. But it's just a personal belief of mine. I call these things varnerisms. So it's not thus saith the Lord. Take it or leave it. I don't think he told Sarah. How many women agree with How many mothers agree with me? Three. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think he told Sarah. Text doesn't say, it just says he rose up early in the morning, grabs Isaac, and off they go. I think even before Sarah woke up. I just know enough about human nature. She waited so long. She went through so much. And then she has this child. I think he was probably spoiled. Honey, guess what God's up to now? What, sweetheart? No, I don't think he told her. But whether or not he told her, they leave early and they go up from the area of Hebron to the area of Jerusalem, the land of Moriah. And Abram says, you guys stay here. The lad and I will go up there. We will worship. Now watch. And we shall return. We shall return. That's why Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Abraham was attempting to offer Isaac. And he who had received the promises. What's one of the promises? A seed. Descendants. Descendants that will fill the earth. He who had received the promises was offering only physical son through Sarah. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall your seed be called. And he's going to kill him. Accounting, Hebrews 11, that God was able to raise him from the dead. From which also he accepted him in a figure Sarah might be sleeping down in Hebron. I don't think Abraham was sleeping. I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out. He tells me that Isaac is the one through whom. And, and then he tells me to kill him. I've got to obey God. Okay. Then if he told me that Isaac is the seed. And he tells me to kill him. There's only one way out of this conundrum. I'll kill him. And God will raise him from the dead. That's why he says to the man, stay here. We will go up there and we will return to you. You know the story. You wonder, how's this going to come out? Stop. (laughs) Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. It's over there. But in his mind, he had killed him. How much time after the message do we have in the service? Somebody? How much time? There's a song. Ends at noon. Ends at noon. One song. Let's make it one stanza. (laughs) There's a wonderful movie. Hollywood usually botches the Bible, but there's one movie they did a pretty good job on. It's simply called The Bible. And it ends with this scene. He's got the little boy, and he's throwing him up in the air and catching him like that. And the camera pans away from that joyous moment when Isaac is spared. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Hollywood, I think, got it right, although I'm not sure he was a little tyke. (laughs) I think he was old enough to overcome 
dad if he was willing to. See, I think that's, that's one where, place where the uh, movie gets it wrong. I think he could have overcome dad, but he willingly submitted. That's part of the type. Not only did God kill his son on the cross, his son submitted to it. Romans chapter, uh, uh, so God then says, he confirms the covenant again. The seed's going to uh, 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 take place. But Abraham, because you feared me and did not spare your son. And then he renews the covenant again with Abraham. And at the end of Genesis 22, we only got two more chapters. And, and one is just a burial. So hang in there. Tighten your seatbelts. We're coming in for a landing. Romans chapter 8 says this. Same word in the Greek Old Testament is used in Romans 8. God did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. Amen. Any Baptists here? I know you know you've no longer got it in your title, but can one Baptist say Amen? amen. Three said Amen. <laughs> the rest are Presbyterians. <laughs> they say, Amen. God spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all. Oh, man, this is great. This is going to end great. Dick is stubborn enough to say, I don't want to marry any of these local girls. <laughs> Here we go again. Don't want to marry any of these local girls. And Abraham says, I agree with you. These local girls are pagans. They're Canaanites. But our next of kin, really distant kin, who's a Yahweh believer, Lives 300 miles away. But it's worth it. Ooh. It's worth it to wait for God's person and God's timing and not jump the gun. Isaac didn't jump the gun. So Abraham tells his servant, go and get a bride for Isaac. 300 miles away among my distant relatives. And off he goes with camels. And he comes to a well. Oh, well. For years I've been trying to get the leadership of this college university to build a right in the middle of campus so our gals could go there. <laughs> and these knucklehead male TMU students could find a bride. Amen. Who said amen? <laughs> I guarantee you it was a girl. But spiritually, he says, oh, Lord, may the one who comes to the well and waters my and and and, and gives me water and water for my camels. May she be the one. And that's happened. What a beautiful romantic story. And she comes and waters his camels. And he says, not you to man, <laughs> you to woman. What do you mean? <laughs> and he starts describing Isaac. She says, okay, but my bro, my, my older brother's got to prove this. Okay, one well, more conflict, you know. And so they go in. It takes a while, but the brother finally approves the marriage. And on she gets to a camel for 300 miles. Can you imagine that? 300 miles. And finally she arrives there. Fast forward. Isaac is meditating in the fields, and he sees the camel. And he sees the servant, and he sees a gal on the camel. And she, in the inimitable words of the King James Version, lights off his, her camel. First reference to smoking in the Bible. Lights <laughs> off her camel. Meets him. They smoochy smoochy and live happily ever after. Oh, man, this is some long story. Couldn't he just been born in chapter 12? And then happy meeting in 13, and they live happily ever after with a 12 kids in chapter 14? No, because the promises never come easy, easily. Abraham's got to believe and he believes. 
And Sarah, does she believe? I mean, she laughs. But we'll take the judgment of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, faith. Sarah also had faith. Well, that's the story of Abram. Happily ever after? Well, no. I mean, there's Jacob and Esau. Oh, and they have conflict. But that's another message, okay? Enough conflict, enough pain, enough challenge to faith. Sarah dies, and Abram buries her in a cave, the cave of Machpelah, the only thing he has, the only land he has bought in the, in the land of promise. The land of promise was his, but it wasn't his. That's why Hebrews 11 says, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. They never really had a permanent home. And the only thing they bought was a burial plot. Where Sarah was buried and where Abraham would also be buried. Along with Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah. That's the challenge of faith, my friend. You say, well, why doesn't God do what he told me he would do? Let him set the timetable. You trust. But don't give me any buts. How about Abraham? It's not an easy road. It's not an easy road. We're called to believe and trust and leave it with him. And it doesn't say believe for six days or six years. And in the seventh year, you know, oh, well, give up. Some of you are still waiting. And I don't want to make light of anybody or poke fun at anybody. If it's husbands or wives or, 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 or getting out of debt or whatever. I'm not making fun or teasing anybody here. You just keep trusting. And let God write the final chapter to your story. To your story. I'm done.